0: Informed Descent: the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. All right, we're recording. Mark, welcome to another great episode of Informed Descent, Jeff, today I don't want to take any BS from any doctors. Well, speaking of BS, we've got a uh great couple of docs and a great couple of guests rather, and I will let you
1: introduce them. So Tim and May Hindmarsh are the, the couple behind BS Free MDs, and they are Canadian refugees from Canada that escaped a number of years ago. They'll tell us their detailed story later and are in the fight against everything, Jeff, that we are fighting against as well, uh, which includes uh, lying, deception, government takeover of medicine, and therefore, what we've lost in, in, in our country and God forbid in Canada, which I think, I hate to say it, guys, but I think Canada is just over, I, I, at least medically, I just don't think there's anything left. And we would like to hear more about their history in Canada, in the U.S., and what they want to accomplish uh, as uh, Canadian MD refugees. Welcome, Doctors Tim and Mahan Marsh.
2: Thanks for having us on. This is fun to be on your show since you've been graced, or you've graced your presence on our, so we are happy to be here.
0: Thank yeah, you. Yeah, great to have you with you. Great for you guys to be with us. We won't tell where you're broadcasting from, and we won't talk about hockey either. So tell us about your journey in Canada and where you're hiding out now. Okay, well, so I was
3: raised in a medical family, so I always kind of felt like that's what I wanted to do. My, my dad was an old school family practitioner, graduated in 1958 you know, did tons of his own surgeries, actually practiced anesthesia anesthesia as well as family medicine because there was really no anesthesia residencies in Canada in the early 60s. And so I was drawn into medicine. Uh, May and I met actually on my first day of medical school. She was a a year ahead of me, which is a whole other story. She dropped eventually dropped back uh, and and we graduated together. And we we uh, graduated on a Wednesday and got married on Sunday of the same week. And then we did residency, which was awesome. That was like a mega stress test for our young marriage. And uh, one day we're sitting in Edmonton, Alberta, finishing our, you know, we're middle of our second year and we get a call and it's like, do you want to move to the United States? And, we're, and, I, was, and I was like, well, if I can ski and windsurf, yes. I only wanted to live in the Northwest at that time. Uh, May wanted to have a house with a bunch of trees like where she grew up and the Canadian government in all the different provinces was limiting billing numbers, which is how you bill the government for services in Canada. So we couldn't practice in British Columbia where we had a job set up. We had to either be in Saskatchewan or Alberta and we
0: said, forget it, we'll go to the United States and we've been here ever since. Wow. Well, I just looked up the weather right now in Alberta, Canada, and uh, low of 14 degrees and high of 25. So in Canada, 25 in Alberta is pretty warm. So I bet people are running around in shorts and t-shirts. But where we live now, I actually was. I
3: was. We we moved to Bradenton, Florida, and I was sitting by the pool all day today.
2: That's funny you said that. I remember being, man, it was our intern year. I was in the hospital in Edmonton, and it was snowing in August. I think it snowed every month of the year at some point in my life. But yeah, and the same for, you know, when we actually interviewed the states, like Tim said, we were were restricted and they did that for like two years. I think it was a two-year time period the Canadian government did because they were trying to control the shortage of family practitioners, mostly in rural areas. And they had a big influx of foreign medical graduates. They were trying to keep their own grads. And it backfired because I think... Three, two thirds, three quarters of our residency left, as well as a lot of our instructors, you know, mentors, clinicians that were already practicing left the country as well for opportunity. At the same time, that was the, I was in '94. That's when all the HMO stuff was starting in the U.S. Right? There was way too many people were yeah. specialist shopping, and so they wanted to get more primary care. And so, yeah, that's how we landed up in the Northwest in Oregon.
0: So you're in, you're in Oregon now?
2: No, we were. We you're were in- there. Yeah, you're now in
0: Florida. We
2: left just this last year. We're yeah. in
0: Florida. Do we're in Florida? Are you
3: Sarasota? Okay. Sir. Yep. yep.
0: Do, you a, do you have a do you have a guest room? We do. At, we do. Asking for a friend. Yes. We do.
2: We have a guest room, a chair by the pool, waiting for you anytime.
0: Oh, I love it. And are you guys actually practicing medicine now in Florida? I am.
3: I I work ten shifts a month for urgent, in urgent care right now.
2: And oh. I retired the second we left Oregon. That was the last stint for me. And now I'm just mostly helping run the podcast and keeping him in line. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah.
3: So the, you haven't retired is what you're saying.
0: No, it's more work. That know. is wonderful. I yeah. recently got a license to practice medicine in Florida to go along with my license in California and Texas. I might pick up a couple more states before I finally decide on where I'll, I will ultimately land when I decide to leave California.
2: Well, you're welcome here. That's for sure. Yeah, I got my license in Florida actually first before Tim a few years ago just to be the trial person to see. And it was t- a little tougher for us just because we did our Florida was pretty strict. We didn't do any U.S. medical school exams or, re- or residency exams, although we're board certified. They didn't like that. And so they made it a little tougher to get a license here. But all well, actually. You know not to dwell into the whole story of you have to for us to get our lessons we had to appear before the board and it really is kind of like a seinfeld episode it's
3: the soup nazi of medical boards it was amazing oh boy.
2: talk yeah. about that at some point but yeah you really feel like your your whole career is on display and then we have a clean straight record we've been you know fine but you sit there and you listen to all these other people's garbage that they've been through and people trying to get into the country and get licenses and we're thankful that they're so strict because there's a lot of crap on. Yes. Anyway.
0: Well, it's hard enough to keep your license when you're here. Let alone get a license if you don't live here.
2: Well, right now they're pulling licenses left and right, and yeah. uh, it's quite frightening.
0: Yeah. So tell me about your podcast, this No BS podcast.
1: So
3: it's it's BS free MD, and it all start. It really what it started with, honestly, was I worked for a seven hospital multi-specialty group for 25 years of my career. And I had worked, they owned a couple different insurance companies. I sat on pharmacy and therapeutics and quality control groups and every single um, thing in between. And I did utilization management for a little while as well. Well, actually 20 years. So I got to see kind of the inside of the belly of the beast. And I was like, there's... the amount of horseshit in trying to run a medical business is staggering. you know it, it comes to mind we were we were debating Aricept with the pharmacists mm-hmm. and and I was like this you know you're looking at the actual data this drug doesn't do anything no I mean it doesn't do anything like it you know it it's it sh- it slows the decline, maybe. Yeah, Well, that's what they they claim. they, They claim that it slows the decline of dementia. How would you know that unless you had a time machine and you knew what the rate of decline was going to be for that individual patient? You know they're lying as soon as you listen, see what the outcome was. And I said, this is garbage. Why do we cover this? And they're like, well, because it's one of the six protected classes in Medicare. And it's because it's a neurodegenerative drug you know, used for neurodegenerative conditions, it has to be covered. And they go, what do you mean it has to be covered? They said, that's the law. And so I started getting really worked up about a lot of this stuff uh, to the point where I actually have an entire half sleeve tattooed on my left arm of <laughs> plague doctors and antique medical tools that we use to like extract demons and so forth. Because, Come on, show me.
0: Oh, he's yeah. serious So. You know, yes. If you're listening on the podcast, you can't see this, but he, we can post legit. pictures. And
3: it actually, it, 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 it actually said on the bottom, it says, trust me, I'm a doctor. And it has a giant plague doctor in there. So. Oh, perfect. Under the Hawaiian so, shirt. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: so, so it, it, you know, so I, I had always been a little iconoclastic when it came to kind of medicine. I, I, I remember talking. 20 years ago to colleagues about the, you know, pharmaceutical industrial complex. I said, this is no different than the military industrial complex. I mean, we're being coerced into these or, you know, deceived into all this. Well, then COVID comes and it was like, okay, now, now Pandora's box has been opened and we can all see what some of us sort of had an, an inkling of, but now is just been laid bare for all. Yeah. And so there thus the podcast, which started on what January sixth or something like that,
0: 2021
2: yes, yes yeah
0: well our our podcast producer, Natalie, lives in Florida as well, so I don't know, Mark, maybe we need to take uh, IDM on the road and, and head out to the this the sunshine state of Florida.
1: We'll get a van and a satellite dish and broadcast from over. Hey,
2: you can do it. if we'd made it all the way from Oregon here, driving ourselves like the Beverly Hillbillies, you guys can. You <laughs>
0: can do it. I love it.
2: You know, and the other thing, and just to add to what Tim said about the birth of the podcast, you know, like so many that got birthed out of COVID, was uh, that we were always having conversations in front of our friends, in front of our poor kids, the dinner table, discussing and debating things that we've done over the years. We didn't always agree throughout our practices. You know, we bo- both did family practice. And we would challenge each other. And, you know, our friends would say, you guys, you know, fun to listen to. Sometimes a lot of it, of course, it's like we don't get it went over their head. But they, they're they like, because we like to joke and banter, disagree, but, you know, respect each other's differences and a lot of similarities, mostly, obviously. They're like, y- you should do this so that people can listen. And so we, we started tossing around the idea of like, maybe we could just do a podcast, discuss medical things. And then COVID happened. And it really was. So let's just put Facebook live stream on and start answering people's questions. Let them know what we think as it unravels and share the information. And we started doing them as live streams, which were a huge hit. And then from there, our friend that was already, he's podcasting and he was our financial actually planner had a podcast. He's like, you guys are doing the hard part because it's live. So, and yeah, that was the birth of the show. Mostly was to look at what we were doing challenge, especially all the crap we thought we believed, you know, when, what we did believe throughout the years. And then our eyes kind of opened and the layers kind of get peeled off as we would see things in question from, you know, things we did to our children with things we gave them as infants that now are like, maybe that wasn't a good idea <laughs> to just the medications and plans. And then with, with COVID. So yeah, that's the gist of the podcast. We also have a fun segment on Wednesday nights, usually, called Docktails with Cocktails, where we like to make fun of crazy medical things, but also laugh at ourselves and things we've done in medicine over the years, and it's light and fun, and we interact with the audience, so that's a bit more fun. But Thursday episodes are usually guests and getting deep into medical things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of crazy things going on in medicine right now, and you don't have to look too far to see it. The FDA just came out with a new rule that said, if they deem that they deem a medical trial for a drug or a product or a device to be of low risk, then they are changing the rules of informed consent. So you no longer have to give informed consent in the same way you normally would if the FDA decides that whatever it is that's being studied is of significantly low risk. Well, I mean, you can imagine the implications of that. Maybe you check into a hospital and they think a particular. You know, ouchy arm thing that you stick in is low risk. So they just give it to the patient without informed consent. And on and on and on. I, I know that happened to a lot of patients that I'm aware of. They were in the hospital for a completely unrelated situation. They ended up getting vaccinated. They didn't realize it. Nobody told them that they were getting this. The nurse just walked in and gave them a vaccine and 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 that was it. And so patients are rightfully a bit paranoid now when they enter the medical establishment in any form, um, paranoid about their privacy, paranoid about whatever database they may be on, paranoid that they're going to lose their rights if they end up in a hospital, and very scared that they're not going to be treated with informed consent, which I used to think was the law, but I'm not so sure anymore. I guess the law these days is only something that a judge ultimately decides on Not necessarily something that's written because, especially in the medical community, not too many people seem to want to follow or enforce any of these rules that we've had for many, many years.
3: Well, just think about it this way. Let's travel in the way, way back machine to like 2018. (laughs) And let's say that you had a devout Jehovah's Witness on your operating table that was bleeding out and you couldn't transfuse. And you decided no, it's in their best interest if they get a blood transfusion. And they, you know, expressly had said, you know, according to their faith, they don't take blood transfusions. You would be immediately fired. And yeah. and the hospital system, you and all of your colleagues that treated that patient would all be named in a lawsuit or potentially named in a lawsuit. Or
2: you, or would, any, you would let the patient procedure. die
3: if that was their wishes because of their, you know, legitimately held firm religious belief. But now it's like <laughs> you can inject a gene therapy into people and somehow like that's just okay. And, and, and you can do it to like, I mean, w- when we really got red pilled when they wanted to start the vaccine on kids. I'm like, they have no risk of COVID. They don't seem to transmit it. The, the, you're you're giving an experimental agent. It might be the greatest agent in the history of mankind. It's still an experimental agent to people that are going to gain
0: exactly zero benefit from it.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's that when my head the, blew up. And the pregnant mothers, I was just aghast.
0: What's still going on?
2: Oh, I know, I know.
0: I'm not. I'm not sure at this point. Actually, I shouldn't say I'm not sure. I am sure there is no one that will gain benefit from receiving this product. Not now, absolutely not. And in particular, a six-month-old will not receive any benefit from this product. In fact, the harm, the potential for harm, is much greater than any benefit that a little kid will receive.
3: And I, but I, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that that's been the way it's always been, and they still pushed it. And and it's just like it's, which again, like I I don't. it's so easy to go down all these different rabbit holes of why, of, of why this is. I
0: still don't have a good, cohesive answer. I mean Well, it's, the, it's, the, listen, the good news is we have our in-house psychiatrist to answer the question why. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
0: Dr. McDonald, help us understand. Why is this going on? Well, I think it
1: actually has more to do with money than anything at this point. The records that have been exposed between the government and Pfizer and Moderna have made it quite clear that despite knowing the inefficacy and the safety risks of these injections, there was a concerted effort to push it and force it onto a population that would not see any medical advantage whatsoever. And in exchange for that, a lot of people got very rich. And I don't think that's real. I don't think that's an arguable position. I think that's just obvious what, what can be argued and what's, which is harder to prove is the, the, the less monetary nefarious nature, like pop depopulation, for example, uh, like using it as a political tool to engage a new regime of government, which we are living under right now. I, I believe we are living under a regime in this country. Very, very similar, although not quite as is bad in degree of severity is what the Canadians are living under, which is a near totalitarian state right now. Uh, they're one step away from a uh, Soviet Union uh, under Stalin. In Canada, we're we're about two and a half steps away, but we're we're getting pretty close. You know, in Florida, I just talked to a doctor yesterday who organized an event there in Ocala. Even even in states like Florida, you, you don't have the degree of freedom that you. Had 10 or 20 years ago, relatively speaking, you're much freer. But absolutely you're not. This doctor, just like in California, is required in his relicensing this year to spend eight hours in a mandatory opioid educational program. And in addition to that, four hours of diversity, equity, and inclusion training. This is the state of Florida that requires it of their doctors. And you would think, oh, this is a this is a California thing. No, this is going on in Florida. And I asked him, I said, I thought Florida was free medically. He said, you know, it's not as free as you think. A lot of people see it as a free state and it is compared to California, but it's not that free. Well, Mark, it sounds like we need to bring back on the Surgeon General of Florida and have a conversation about medical freedom. I'm sure that Dr. Ladapo supports the elimination of DEI, but I suspect that he does not have the authority as the Surgeon General under the current governor to eliminate the DEI rule, which I'm sure is being pushed by a separate cabal of individuals that are outside and fall outside the purview of the state government, similar to what we've been talking about with hospitals and judges that just seem to sidestep all the existing guardrails and just go their own way. And that's very scary because it means that there's no real accountability of elected officials to the people. And, and when we lose accountability, I, I think we've just have sort of lost the country. That's what happened in Canada when the government just made a decision, issuing an emergency order, that they would not have to support their constitution anymore and just seize bank accounts, arrest people. You can't do that unless you dissolve the accountability structure in your country. And unfortunately, in Canada and in the U.S., we have allowed that dissolution to happen so often now with pseudo emergencies that the people just don't have any more leverage against the people in office and the people that are appointed by those in office.
0: You, you're right, and you can You guys can't see who are listening, but Winston uh, stepped up to the camera. Not Winston, I mean Larry stepped up to the camera. This is one of my cats. She likes to. She likes to be on. You know, in California, Mark, the Medical Board of California is appointed by the governor. I don't know how it works in Florida, but that's how it works in California. So I would be curious. And then the Medical Board is responsible, at least in California, for determining a lot of these CME requirements, which are onerous in California as well with a lot of the DEI stuff. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what they got going in Florida, but it would be curious to know. I mean, clearly there is a level of freedom in Florida that isn't available in California, uh, but clearly as it relates to the practice of medicine, what you described is, is just ridiculous. Those types of requirements should not be uh, mandated for physicians to take. Well, and it's, it's also like deep in the, I don't know, you know, in
3: the ABFM or whatever, the, the, you know, board certification Stuff I've actually been reasonably impressed with, I I really am get choosy as far as what I pick for their CME and their questions. And most of them are medically based and they're pretty good and they're well written and all that. But, but they had a, and this was before COVID, this was like 2018 or 2019 when I was recertifying, you know, you had, you had to do this, some race based, whatever it was training to make sure that, you know, you took care of people of other nationalities or languages. And, And, and that, I mean, that was an absolute you had to do that, or you couldn't.
2: It was something you, to the effect that it was to make sure that you didn't become biased with regards to, yeah, race, and you yeah, to have training in diversity and inclusion, and it was just like a mandatory type thing. And that know.
3: was twi- like that. That was five. No, that yeah. was seven, eight years ago.
2: And for sure, being in Oregon, and we, you know, we had the same kind of things as you in California. I think Oregon is just part of California as far as all the political garbage goes.
0: Well, with
3: a little bit more meth.
2: Yeah.
0: A little bit more meth. Yeah, we've, yes. got, we've got a lot of fentanyl here in California too. Oh, yes. Medical schools are equally affected by this, and I wonder what the next generation of physicians are going to be as they graduate.
3: That horrifies me because we've taken some of the best and brightest people. We've, I, in my opinion, having taught medical students for most of my career – we have started to coddle them medicine is a difficult job it's demanding it's emotionally demanding and it requires that you put on your big boy or big girl pants to go to work so we saw all sorts of strange yeah. machinations coming out of one of the local medical schools in Oregon with, with well like, that
2: was a residency program and that was so the residency of we were involved with and you know we were they would come to do shift work and then it's like well I couldn't make it through twelve hours because I'm just tired and I'm beat. And can I go home early? I'm like, this is your career. This is part of the job. <laughs> if I'm staying, you're staying. This is right. Or, or you know, it's not do- kind.
3: It's not kindergarten. Like you don't and get to color it's here. It's
2: quite frightening. And you just listen to not just that, but listen to them talk um, about their goals and ideals. And it it is frightening. I feel like I'm dating myself. I mean, I'm almost getting close to sixty, but I'm like, good good night is this is the next generation of physicians. And I see it online in different groups that I'm part of as well. Women's groups, diverse, you know, business ones, alternative careers. Peep the It is quite frightening in, in general. So I don't know. I, w- I want to be positive, but I'm worried. Mark,
1: what do you see for the future of medicine? I, I just saw a, a news clip a few days ago. You probably saw it as well of a, uh, young, spoiled, narcissistic little bitch who was in the OB program about to graduate from my medical school, Medical College of Wisconsin, who stated in a, believe it was a congressional hearing, that she would leave the program if she was denied the mm-hmm. opportunity to train in abortion. And she said all of the other residents, and they're all girls, every single one of the residents, it's, it's always OB is, is just one big program of unopposed estrogen and a few mm-hmm. gays gay men, that is. There's no men that are left in obstetrics. No. Well, they, they all announced the same thing on, on her behalf. They all said, we're just going to walk out if you don't give us training in abortion. And not only was it the girl and her friends, but the department itself stood behind her publicly and stated that they supported her position, as did the dean of the college, the medical college, as did the entire medical college of Wisconsin itself. So she, her colleagues, the professors the other residents the department the college the medical school and the entire medical university all backed her up in writing publicly stating that if she were restricted by some federal government rule or state rule in abortion training she would walk out so they 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 expressed this so-called spine and 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 discipline and backbone when it comes to abortion but they don't want to work a 12 hour shift I've lost all respect for these medical students, for these residents, for those who supervise them, for their colleagues. I really don't see without a parallel medical system being built that we are going to have any degree of competency or morality in medicine in the next generation. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're describing is really putting pressure
0: on many of us to help create that parallel medical system. We know that Simone Gold, of course, is working on that as well with uh, Goldcare. And there are others that are working on finding ways to license physicians independent of the licensing boards of each state. I know there are some folks that are working on that as well. And I, I hope it happens. I mean, it takes a disaster sometimes for a new and better way to emerge. And maybe that's what's necessary in, in healthcare because right now it is a disaster. I also think there is a hunger out there amongst patients for physicians that are holistic, for physicians that they trust, that understand the concept of informed dissent, that don't pressure them to do things that they're uncomfortable doing and support their autonomy and want a coach to help them stay healthy so they don't need to enter the traditional medical system. It's not unlike the movement that we're seeing in public education, where public education or better called government education is so broken that more and more parents are homeschooling, more charter schools are opening that share parents' values, private schools, et cetera. And that especially in California, that is where it is probably the most broke and woke of all, it is one of the reasons why people are leaving California. Young parents, young families are leaving, pulling their kids out, businesses are leaving, they don't want to pay the taxes and deal with the regulation. Physicians are not wanting to move into California because of all those reasons as well. And then there's doctors like me and doctors like Mark that are scratching their head saying, it's just a matter of when, not if, and we got to plot our escape. And at some point we will do that. It's unfortunate, but you know, this is, this is the way our system is rolling right now.
3: Well, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, people have said, "Well, why don't you stay and fight and all this about staying in Oregon?" And I said, "For what?" I mean, I you know, we're 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 two voices in the wilderness. We have lots of people in the rural area that that we lived in that you know, agreed with us and so forth. But there's a point where I you almost do a disservice staying because I almost want it just to fail as fast as possible. And yep. and and then something better can reemerge. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where we got to. We're just like, no, I'm done. We're, we, we need to go, we need to be around like minded people, you know, in our profession.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's like, you know, when there's a giant forest fire, it's a tragedy and uh, it's horrible. But a few months go by and you start to see the little green leaves popping up where there is now charcoal and hopefully a better forest grows. And I think that's what we need to see both in public education and in healthcare. Absolutely. So what do you say, Mark, Florida, Tennessee,
1: Nevada, Croatia, where are we going? Well, I know a couple in, I was going to say California, but I was corrected recently. It was Olympia, Washington took their 10 year old girl to India. Mm. They were Indian born. The girl was not. And they just said, you know what? We're done. Uh, Oregon is over. There's no reason to fight. We're taking her back. And the reason was that they discovered a secret email chain between their 10-year-old girl and her teacher who was apparently a groomer and had encouraged her to change her pronoun, dress differently, and was on the verge of facilitating hormone treatment. And each time she spoke with this girl in these emails, she reminded her not to share this information with her parents because they would not support her transition and that they should go into a protected encrypted chat rather than email so that her parents wouldn't discover the subterfuge. Well, the parents did discover it. And I think appropriately, rather than fighting back against the school and trying to challenge it, which would have then labeled them as bigots and probably blocked them from being able to set foot on the campus, maybe even losing custody of their, of their daughter, as has happened in several states, including Texas in the last four years, they spirited her away to a safe house for two weeks planned an exit, and then after 14 days flew her with the rest of the family to India where they have a support network and then revealed what they had planned and what they had done so that nobody could then physically take the daughter from her in the US. Wow. This is what it's come to escaping America to be free. Well, you know, Mark, and it's not just the school they would have to fight. And yes, it would
0: be the school and the bureaucracy, probably local law enforcement probably the local courts, and a battle that they would likely not win. But it was also the peer groups that they would have to fight. And I think in some level, it's the peer groups that these kids hang out with that are more dangerous than just the school that allows it to happen.
1: I think that's very true. And this is a problem of social media. And as we all know, three years ago, four years almost, almost virtually every child in in the United States was locked away from physical interactions with others, and so their peer groups became electronic. And those electronic peer groups were kept from their their parents. They were highly manipulated with algorithms. They were force-fed lies, propaganda, anti-American, pro-transgender, anti-parent, neo-Maoist crap and these children uh, became warped, and and now the the bond between the parent and the child, and the strength of the parental involvement in the child's upbringing, is significantly weaker than it ever has been. To the point where I I I feel some days that if you don't live in a a real rural off the grid part of the U.S., you're better off raising your children in a foreign country. I know that sounds insane, but I I think rationally it's just hard to defend raising children in virtually any urban area in the United States anymore. There's just no way to defend them against the peer group influence.
2: But that's where I I would say, you know, you're not, well, you're kind of wrong because we lived in rural way off the grid, America, town of 8,500 people. uh, We called it uh, American mission field. American mission field. I mean, it was was so impoverished. It was tough. And you know, what started to happen there blew my mind because we started to see all that infiltration even there, you know, not only all the big drug problem that Oregon has with what we call legalization, the misdemeanor of all that stuff, that infiltrating the small town, but the same thing, a small town school where litter boxes have to be allowed in the bathrooms. Kids are allowed to identify as animals or whatever gender it's tolerated. The same thing's going on there. And the, parents and friends and, you know, patients are freaked out and they're homeschooling. They don't know what to do either. They're p- forming these small little groups or starting their own schools. It's everywhere now. And, you know, you can't, you're right. Social media permeates the ends of the earth. Um, but what's happened with this indo- indoctrination socially, and, and it just seems like with the teachers, I don't know, it just comes in and infiltrates every single- well, it's. It's like a spiritual contagion. I mean, like
3: an entity. You know, it's it really is amazing. Yeah, you're right.
0: Worse than I thought.
3: Yeah. There's 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 no
2: safe space. There's a meme
0: going around something like, you know, I'm just a couple chickens away from being full Amish, (sighs) and I think there's some truth to that. Now I'm not moving to Pennsylvania, but I do like the idea of horse and buggy, but there's got to be a better way and and that's the way i'm going to be looking for in the in the coming years we are past 30 minutes now so tim and may tell our audience a little bit about how they can get in touch with you and how they can follow you the
2: best way to follow us is check out our well website bsfreemd.com it'll take you to where our podcast is, we're on Spotify, Apple, and all the major podcast platforms. We live stream, and you can also follow us on Rumble. Occasionally, YouTube allows us to post, <laughs> doesn't take down everything that's controversial, but we're on Instagram a lot as well as uh, Facebook. And so, the easiest way is through our website, bsfreemd.com.
0: Great. Well, listen. Tim and May, thank you so much for joining us on Informed Dissent. We appreciate it and look forward to an opportunity to coming on your podcast one day.
3: Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent the intersection of healthcare and politics.